Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami! What a throw, Devontae Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins' official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins, each and every day. How's it going, everybody? It is Tuesday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we take a dive into the weeds, a deep dive into the numbers, the film. We'll hear from the Dolphins coordinators. This is always our longest episode of the week. Let's go ahead and not waste any more time and jump right in to this Tuesday, December the 29th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Hey, Dolphins fans, the new year starts now at AutoNation. Let's skip the rest of 2020 and get to big New Year savings on your favorite AutoNation Chevys, Fords, Toyotas, Hondas, and a whole bunch more. Shop safely at the AutoNation store near you or AutoNation.com and save now. So how's everybody feeling? We had Christmas on Friday, that crazy, crazy game on Saturday night, and then a Sunday in the NFL that really went in the Dolphins' benefit across the board, really, as far as getting additional help just in case Sunday does not go the way we want it to as far as the game up in Buffalo. Now Miami can get in the playoffs in four different routes. Number one, beat the Buffalo Bills. You do that, you're in. You are the fifth seed in the AFC. Now, if the Dolphins do not win the game on Sunday then three teams in the AFC all have to win in order to kick Miami out of the top seven. If the Colts, Browns, and uh, Ravens all win their games on Sunday and Miami loses, we will miss the playoffs. If one of those teams loses their game and Miami loses as well, then the Dolphins will still get into the dance into the January tournament. So lots of possibilities. Fifth seed, sixth seed, seventh seed, and the dreaded eighth seed out of the playoffs are all in the realm of possibilities. And one more sweetener for this season. Dolphins currently own the third pick in the NFL draft if the season were to end today. If the Texans lose on Sunday to the Tennessee Titans, that pick will be locked into the three seed as they are battling with the Falcons there for some supremacy in terms of strength of schedule. But Houston's dip below Atlanta's in the Week 16 games, the Week 16 slate of action. So Miami could be picking third in next April's draft. The last time a team made the playoffs and picked top five or top three in both instances was the 1999 Washington football team. They went to the playoffs in 99 and picked second and third in 2000. Miami could follow that up 20 years later here this year if week 17 goes all according to plan. We didn't have a podcast on Monday, but I wanted to go ahead and mention the anniversary of the Your Gray Hat game, December 28th, back in 2008. Chad Pennington, Ted Ginn, Philip Merling, Ronnie Brown, Ricky Williams, all those guys making plays in that game. This is, or yesterday was rather, the anniversary of the game in the Meadowlands, taking out Brett Favre, Eric Mangini, and that Jets team with Tony Sperano and company and winning the AFC East. Wanted to go ahead and mention that. Just before we jump into the team rankings here and individual metrics from the Monday Inside the Numbers piece up on MiamiDolphins.com, you guys can find that right now. As for the Dolphins team rankings, offensively, 25.2 points per game is 15th in the National Football League. Miami are 23rd in total offense, 22nd rushing, and 25th in the passing game. Now on defense, we are one week away from securing the top scoring defense in the National Football League. Miami currently sits first in that category, allowing just 18.8 points per game this season. 
The total defense ranks 20th, rushing ranks 17th, and passing defense ranks 19th in the NFL. Miami's 40 sacks this year are tied for the ninth most in the National Football League, and the third down defense, allowing just 30.7% conversions, is first in the NFL, and the 27 takeaways is tied for first with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it seems like we say it every single week, but it's pretty much true that Dolphins defensive standing there across the NFL continues to impress me, and I'm sure all of you as well out there in Dolphin Nation. It was the 200th road win in Dolphins franchise history and just the third time since 2002 that Miami has been 10-5 and or better after 15 games. It last happened in 2016, the last playoff year here for your Miami Dolphins. How about some recent streaks here for Miami? 9-2 over the last 11 games, 10-3 and over the last 13, and 15-9 and over the last 24 games. A win on Sunday gets Coach Flores back to 16-16 and in his coaching career. Clayton Fedulum, that fumble recovery at the end of the game, extended Miami's streak of consecutive games with a turnover up to 21. That's best in the league. And the Dolphins scored 13 points while trailing in the final five minutes of that game. The last time that happened was November 20th, 2016 at the Los Angeles Rams. I know you all remember that game. Ryan Tannehill to Devontae Parker over and over again. Parker with the game-winning touchdown in that game as they scored 14 points to come back 14-10 in that crucial, crucial win. How about some snap counts and stats, starting here with your offense. Tua Tungavailoa played 46 snaps. Ryan Fitzpatrick played 17 in the game. At running back, Miles Gaskin led the way with 48 snaps. Savon Ahmed had 15. At receiver, Lynn Bowden Jr. led the way with 58 reps. Matt Collins, 49. Isaiah Ford, 33. Jakeem Grant, 19. And Malcolm Perry had one snap in the game. Plenty of uh, receiver and tight end action here for your Miami Dolphins in this game. Mike Gasicki had 45 snaps. Durham Smythe, 30. And Adam Shaheen, 15. All five of your offensive linemen with a distance. Austin Jackson, Eric Flowers, Ted Karras, Jesse Davis, and Robert Hunt. And Julian Davenport came off the bench for two snaps in the win on Saturday night. For Fitzpatrick, it was the 18th game-winning drive of his career and 13th come-from-behind victory. The offense put together 13 points when he was in the game on 13 dropbacks. He completed all four of his passes when under duress for 67 yards, and he was 2-for-3 on passes 20 or more yards downfield with 65 yards to boot on those. Quarterback Tua Tungavailoa continued his successful run throwing against the Blitz as he completed 9 of 11 passes against that extra rusher, including his touchdown pass to Miles Gaskin. On the season, Tungavailoa has seven touchdown passes and just one interception when the opposition sends a fifth or sixth rusher bringing that blitz after the young quarterback. Gaskin rushed for 87 yards and gained a season high for the Dolphins, 167 yards from scrimmage. He averaged 3.36 yards after initial contact. That was the high for a Dolphins running back with at least 10 carries in a game this season, and 74 of his 82 receiving yards occurred after the catch. He became the first Dolphin running back with multiple receiving touchdowns in a game since Reggie Bush did it in 2012. And how about some cool data from our friends at NextGen Stats? His 50 yards after the catch on that 59-yard touchdown reception, he was expected to get three yards after the catch with initial tackles broken there. So he got 50 yards over expected yak on that play from NextGen Stats. That was the third most yak over expected on a reception this season. You still with me on that? Most yards after the catch above expected based upon NFL averages and speed and stats and all that fun stuff. I have the tweet available from NextGen Stats in the top news article that was published on Tuesday on MiamiDolphins.com. 
out at the receiver position. Three of Isaiah Ford's four receptions in the game moved the chains, including that critical 17-yard gain on a third down and five on Miami's game-tying field goal drive, the one that made it 16-16 to there in the fourth quarter. And wide receiver Matt Collins improved upon his team-best PFF run-blocking grade at 78.1. He and tight end Mike Gesicki hit key blocks on Gaskin's 59-yard touchdown catch and run. Hollins also pulled in the third most improbable completion of the season on Fitzpatrick's no-look 34-yard heave to go ahead and put the Dolphins in position to win that game Saturday night. On that play, again, back to next-gen stats, air distance of that throw, 45.3 yards. Quarterback under pressure. There was .4 yards between Hollins and the sideline when he made that catch. All of that adds up to a 10.9% completion probability. That was the third most improbable completion in the National Football League this season. We got it. We got the field goal. We got the dub. Tight end Mike Kosicki pulled in four passes for 54 yards. He's now fifth among tight ends with 656 receiving yards. His 13.7 yards per reception ranks fourth among tight ends with at least 20 catches. If he can get 136 yards in the season finale in Buffalo next Sunday, he would surpass Randy McMichael's 791 yards for the most yards by a tight end in Dolphins history. Center Ted Karras and right guard Jesse Davis were charged with one pressure allowed each, and offensive tackles Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt combined to allow five pressures, but none of those were hits on the Miami quarterback, keeping Tua and Fitz clean in that regard. On the defensive side, for the snap counts here, we start off on the defensive line. Raekwon Davis has 53 snaps in this game, 83% of the workload. Christian Wilkins gives you 47, and Zach Sealer gives you 30 in the game. Benito Jones also had a snap up front. Emmanuel Ogba played 59 snaps in the game. At linebacker, Kyle Van Noy played every rep, all 64. Jerome Baker gives you 62 snaps. And Andrew Van Ginkle gives you 56 in the game. Plenty of guys showing their conditioning, showing their late season week 16 that endurance, the work they've put in to get their conditioning. These guys playing tons of snaps in this game and paying off huge dividends for this Dolphins defense. Elandon Roberts left the game on the cart. That was, I did not like seeing that scene, man. That sucked. That guy works hard. He is a big part of this team, a big leader on this team. 19 snaps for him in the game. Calvin Munson gives you six. Kamu Gruje Hill plays one in the secondary. Byron Jones played 63 snaps. Xavier Howard did as well. That was one snap short of the total for the defense. Nick Needham played 37 in the game. And safety Eric Rowe played every snap all 64. Bobby McCain gives you 63 and Brandon Jones gives you 16 snaps in the game. Hey Caroline, how's it going baby girl? As for the stats from pro football focus in this game, cornerback Xavier Howard was targeted four times in the game. He allowed a catch, but it went for negative one yard. That performance improved upon his league best 49.4% completions allowed and dipped his league best passer rating against down to 48.5. That's best among all NFL cornerbacks. He added two passes defense. That gives him 19 for the season. Also tops in the NFL to go along with his league leading nine interceptions this season. This The last time a Dolphins defender had 19 pass defense in a season was Andre Goodman in 2008. And no player has had more since Patrick Sertan in 2000. Good company there. Linebacker Jerome Baker made 10 tackles in the game, giving him better than 100 tackles for the second consecutive season. Six of Baker's tackles were good for run stops. Those are tackles within two yards of the line of scrimmage. He continues to have a fantastic season. Andrew Van Ginkle had a big, big game. He became the fifth different Dolphins defender to record multiple sacks in a game this season. He also had a career-high five quarterback pressures and added three run stops and batted a pass down. 
at the line of scrimmage. Defensive end Emmanuel Ogba was second on the team with three QB pressures. That gives him 62 on the season, the most in a single season by a Miami Dolphin since Cam Wake in 2016, who had 67 that year. So five more pressures from the big man can help him get in Cam Wake's company from that great, great 2016 season. Defensive tackle Christian Wilkins was the highest graded defender on the Dolphins defense. He applied two pressures and made two total tackles in the game. Zach Sealer and Raekwon Davis also added a combined three quarterback pressures and both had two run stops each in this game. And as for Miami specialist, Jason Sanders put together his second game-winning kick of the season, this time from 45 yards out, had the 50-yarder against the Cardinals back in Week 9, with just one second on the game clock this time around. His 34 made field goals are the second most in the NFL and second most in Dolphins history. His 136 points scored this season are also second best in franchise history. His 19 field goals from 40-plus yards leads the NFL, and his 8 field goals from 50-plus yards are tied for most in the league. The long-range kicking of Jason Sanders comes up big big time and time again for your Miami Dolphins. Matt Hawk has 24 punts downed inside the 20-yard line. That's 6th best in the NFL. And Jakeem Grant's 330 punt return yards are still tops in the National Football League. The Dolphins have one of the most disciplined teams in the NFL under head coach Brian Flores. Top five last year in penalty yardage and fouls committed against them. This year, third fewest penalties, 72 times, and 615 penalty yardage. That's fourth fewest in the National Football League. Let's go ahead and break down some film, starting here first with the offensive side of the football. And we start here with the offense and, and the quarterback and Tua Tungavailoa in general here and talking about him kind of reflecting upon maybe taking some some opportunities to throw the football where in this league it's covered, but it's actually open. He's talked about that a few times. And on the first play of the game, you've got the safety who is pretty much in conflict with a corner route from one side of the field to the wide side and a post route from the boundary to put him in a bind to go for the corner or the post. And I think it's one of those instances that Tua might be talking about. We're letting it rip a little bit. It's a leverage throw where you have to anticipate the defender's lean. And there might have been a big play opportunity there, but there's also something he's shown the ability to do plenty of times as well in that anticipation rip. The reading the leverage of the defender and throwing it accordingly. We've talked about that YouTube uh, channel with JT O'Sullivan a few times on this podcast, and he goes back to the Cardinals game when Gasicki gets behind a linebacker, and because a linebacker's back is turned to Tua, he knows that in that instance, he can only cover the width of his shoulders, and so he's done it before, but it just might be an experience thing where he continues to get more reps and continues to see more defenses at this level. Just a 22-year-old quarterback here coming off of an offseason where there was only virtual meetings and programs and that type of thing. We've seen him do it in college. We've seen him do it here in the pros. It's literally the least of my worries when it comes to this football team. But you see those reps kind of start to add up and maybe he can begin to create that catalog of his own that Ryan Fitzpatrick always refers to. Now, for instance, a third nine conversion on the second drive of the game, Jakeem runs a little curl route at the sticks between a quad of Raiders defenders, four defenders in the area, and you see Tua's hand separate from the football before Jakeem gets to the top of the stem and starts coming back down the stem on that curl route. The anticipation is there, just got to do it more consistently. And Las Vegas often rotated late in the formation or late at the snap in this game to what ultimately got them into what I think was cover two. I don't know their defense, but you see the cornerbacks play up tight, turn the receiver deep and the two safeties deep in the middle of the field, take half the deep half of the field. And there were some instances where the receiver would release on a takeoff and got turned free with that little 10 to 15 yard pocket to rip that turkey hole shot. 
an area where cover two can be beat sometimes and an opportunity for this offense to, to take advantage of those looks. Some more Tua stuff here on the second possession, second down and 10. The Raiders get a well-timed safety blitz, and I like the way Tua does so well to erase these negative plays and get you into, even if it's a one-yard game like it was on this one, to quickly flip the ball out and not take that sack. And it was the only option because it was looking like it was going to be a sack with a free rusher coming in on Tua who still was not to the top of his drop yet, so he doesn't have that twitch to be able to move because he's not anticipating getting pressure that early. So you go from an eight, nine yard loss in that play to a one yard gain. I also love the quick rip and the quick ability to drop the arm angle and flip that thing out in a hurry, whether his feet are set or not. There was a a drag route to Jakeem Grant on the first field goal drive of the game. If he catches the football clean, he might have the angle on the safety. He's outflanked, but had about 15 yards or so to reestablish that angle. But we've seen what Jakeem's speed can do to those pursuit angles. I think maybe he catches that ball clean. He bobbles it, gets it, and, and gets some yards. But maybe if he catches it clean, he might have gone the distance. On the very next play, it's an empty package. Raiders are uh, 10 of them up on the line of scrimmage. And all five routes are blanketed, manned up across the board. And that's what you get when you get man coverage. Opportunities for the quarterback run. Tua finds a crease, steps up, sneaks out, and converts on fourth and two. Nice play there from the rookie quarterback. And I don't know the progressions of the play. I talk about this all the time. I'm just telling you what I think I see, but I don't know the actual calls. On the next snap, he lays one out to Lynn Bowden for six yards with a couple of layered routes coming over. You got Lynn Bowden coming under the formation for the little quick hitter, and then Mike Gasicki running a corner route, and he's got similar position with leverage on a downfield defensive back 10 yards deeper than that. Kind of back to that first point about experience and seeing more maybe letting that thing fly downfield a little bit more. Ryan Fitzpatrick comes into the game. His first pass play to Ford was an example of that. Ford gets an outside shoulder and Fitz lets that thing fly and gets to the point of the break with a defender out leveraged. Such a big play in that game. Backed up deep in your own zone. Third down trailing in the fourth quarter. Nice play there from Ryan Fitzpatrick. He, of course, got the ball out quickly and did what he does in this instance. He is such a good reliever to come off the bench when you need a spark on your offense. He gave it to Miami in this game. But going back to Tua's game, I think there's plenty of things you look at in this tape where you say, that's that's the quarterback we like. That's the quarterback we want. He's still making these big-time reads, getting into correct run, call, run calls at times, and continues to save negative plays and make them positive plays and still does not turn the football over barely at all so far at this point of his career. At the running back position, Miles Gaskin, what a game this guy had. Just an incredibly smart, instinctive runner that both gets to the correct lane and at least the lane that means it looks most fruitful on certain plays and limited wasted movement, setting up blocks before he gets to those points. And this all happens in a flash and it speaks to his feel for the game, his smarts, his instincts. He largely avoids negative runs as he recognizes and gets away from danger to find a spot where he can get away from that initial penetration and get north and south when that instant penetration does arrive. He's obviously a monster in the passing game. His first big rip, a 14-yard play. He's pressing it play side, winds it backside, and before he gets to the hole, he throws a little jab step that moves a linebacker over the top of a Robert Hunt second-level block, and that simultaneous first and second-level block action just sets them up for big runs and big gashes in the ground game. Love Miles Gaskin's tape. The touchdown on the screen pass running through two tackles, just a stroke of genius, a nose for the goal line, and also a very nice ball fake and quick flip by Tua on that play to drop the arm angle and get that football to him quickly, immediately, so he can make those guys miss. And then, of course, the long touchdown, the balance on display once again to slip out of that first tackle, squares up the defense, finds an opening, reverses field, gets two huge blocks downfield from Mack and Mike for the 59-yard score. 
Just great team effort all around, but Miles Gaskin, I thought this tape was just terrific for the Dolphins' second-year running back. Speaking of the offensive line, Robert Hunt's matchup with Max Crosby in this game was a fun one to watch. He got some one-on-one opportunities. They would slide protection away and keep him on that island, and he has this heavy punch initially that stifles Crosby in his tracks, and Crosby later went against that and kind of drew a punch out of Robert Hunt early and got him out over his skis a little bit. But that was basically it. Hunt would redirect. He would work against the power and anger against those bull rushes. He would get upfield on speed rushes, the cross chops, trying to get two moves or the, the counter move to the first move, spin moves inside. He really had answers for most of the things that Crosby was throwing his way. I was super impressed by this tape and his recent run of tape in general. He also had some damn good work in the running game. We talked about his big blocks on Winovich and Jones last week to spring that 31-yard Ahmed run. He had an awesome second-level climb and seal on McMillan on a big Gaskin run in this game as well. Ted Karras, I just continue to be impressed mainly by a couple of things. His active feet as he works to continuously stay in position and pass protection and his second level work in the screen game as well as climbing to that second level in the running game. I also love the way he attacks a pass rusher like Maurice Hurst, for instance, in this game who wants to play that hair on fire, get up, feel as fast as you can. And rather than letting him get off the line of scrimmage with that quick get off that he has, Ted would go attack him. He would go initiate the contact and stop him before he can get started. Also, Ted and Jesse, I thought both, Jesse Davis, hit a number of key reach blocks in this game to get that outside shoulder, turn the man inside, create that lane. That's a tough ask, and both those guys did well in that department. Eric Flowers had a key block on a 24-yard Miles Gaskin run in very similar fashion. Reach, get outside, catch and turn, seal off that gap. I thought he got better as the game went along, cutting back off that injury. Isaiah Ford, you love the feel this guy has. The first catch he had moved the chains in the red zone on that touchdown drive that was capped on the screen pass from Tua to Miles Gaskin. He moved with Tua as Tua broke contain and gave his quarterback a target on a scramble broken play. Veteran move there from Isaiah Ford. How about Mike Kosicki, man? What a tough dude he is. Getting back and making a big impact. That big gainer on the over route on the game-tying field goal drive. Fitzpatrick's first of the night. Nice little stutter step as he closes ground quickly and eats up the cushion from the safety and coverage and then just turns on the Jets and runs away from him. His releases have become such a weapon at this stage of his career. Then he comes right back and runs the seam with an awesome elevating catch for 31 yards. That guy is the best Tampa 2 buster. One of the best Tampa 2 busters in in the NFL with that speed, that length, athletic ability, and strong hands. Staying at the tight end position, I thought Adam Shaheen did an excellent job of sealing the edge without holding. Has a very strong grip that way. Miami's getting big runs off the edge every single week now, and these tight ends are a big reason for it because the same can be said about Durham Smythe. He had an excellent seal on an eight-yard Miles Gaskin run that really created a lane for him to get through. He also had a key block on Lynn Bowden's first down run on that direct snap play. So once again, offense is young, continues to grow and improve and find out more about themselves. They continue to find gaps and plays in the running game, which is a good thing to have going forward. We'll see if we can continue to develop this passing game and really create that balance and get the ultimate complete team victory hopefully here coming up soon in the coming weeks. Let's go ahead and spin this thing over to the defensive side of the football, the All-22 review here on the Tuesday, December the 29th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. And we start with a topic that I think I've covered quite a few times here on the All-22 reviews every single Tuesday on Drive Time. And the most fun thing to watch for me with this team every week on defense is the mixing of coverages. There are so much pre-snap disguise and post-snap rotation where guys are flying in and out of the box and going backwards. For instance, there's a play where you've got Brandon Jones lined up pretty much on the line. He's like one or two yards off the football, 
Bobby McCain's 15 yards deep in center field, and he flies downhill, Bobby does, to take away a flat route, while Brandon Jones gets back over the top to take away the deep middle, and you've got Nick Needham coming off the corner on a cat blitz, just mixing it up, confusing the quarterback, trying to throw different looks at them, and force them into quick decisions under your pressure looks. It's been successful pretty much all season long. The Raiders did have some success with some traps, some wham blocks where you reach the nose tackle, where basically you invite him upfield, and you hit him with a guard to, to get him off balance and get him out of the play and that opens up a situation where you can then down block the linebackers because we know Miami loves to walk up Baker and Van Noy and the entire linebacking crew into those a gaps and show that pressure that way when they're mugged up if they can get down blocked by a big offensive tackle that's a tough matchup there with that linebacker but I think it's a good thing you saw some of that in this case because if someone tries it again later in the season you now have some tape on on that look with the wham and trap blocks the Raiders threw at the Dolphins in this game. There was a big third down stop in the red zone where you just had excellent coverage across the board late in this game, late third quarter, might have been early fourth quarter, where Byron is locked up on Renfro, X on Aguilar, Bobby McCain on Jason Witten, and Van Noy greets Darren Waller, who's coming across the formation of motion. He greets him with a big hit and pretty much takes him out of the play. And I thought this play was a great descriptor, a great indicator of who this Dolphins defense is. Physical, it communicates well, it battens down the hatches on third down and in the red zone. Huge play late in this game. Miami was aces all game long down in that red area. Xavier Howard, man, we talk about his coverage skills all the time, and for good reason. He's been one of the best in the league all year long, but the play he made on the second play of the game, I think, shows his overall value. He keys a screen pass to the outside and gets to the football immediately. His quick reaction forces Needham's man to come off and make a block trying to get to X, so when Renfro changes direction, Needham is there to help clean it up along with Kyle Van Noy on that play. And then for X on the coverage, literally the very next play, he's on Nelson Aguilar in a condensed split. And Aguilar releases inside on what looks like it could be an over route. You get that condensed split, run across the formation, force the defensive back to play catch up the entire snap. But then he bends it back across for a corner route. And X is just in the hip pocket the entire time. He has been so good at recognizing the route and transitioning in and out of breaks and getting into that hip pocket. It leads to a lot of picks, leads to a lot of pass breakups, leads to a lot of just plays where he doesn't get targeted at all. Also, his mirror ability and press man coverage is awesome. Press is often confused for a jam where the receiver gets, where the cornerback gets up on the receiver's face and puts hands on him. But in this instance, he's just mirroring. He's not going to initiate that contact, but just mirror the release of the wide receiver. It was a takeoff from Aguilar, and X just pins him into the sideline, runs the route for him. Just continue to be impressed by the season this guy is having all year long. Go up into the front seven, Andrew Van Ginkle, man. The way he beats blocks off the edge continues to really impress me. He's consistent at it. He knifes under the blocks or he hits it with contact, finds a way to get around, and then gets his hands down in the lower half of the back, like the the quads, the, the ankles, the feet. And so many times he can trip up those running backs who think he's out of the play, but he did it on the first play of the game to stop Josh Jacobs for a gain of just three. His sack was another element of his game. His first sack, I should say, had two in the game. His first sack was just another element of his game that he's definitely developed from his college days back at Wisconsin. He just throws a straight bull rush on Colton Miller and runs him right back into Derek Carr and damn near gets the football out in the process. He puts hands on him and runs right through a block and the, the left tackle could never reset his feet because of the power on that play of Van Ginkle. Now, on the batted pass, Same situation. He goes for that same power move, but here does a great job of keeping his eyes up and then creating space between he and Colton Miller so he can elevate. If you're in too tight, you're not going to be able to get off that block and elevate and get your hands up. He does it here, keeps his eyes on the quarterback, gets the hands up, deflects the pass. Now, 
on his second sack, I want to really just appreciate Emmanuel Ogba here. He sets the pick for Van Ginkle to loop inside and Ogba's pure power move forces the tackle to help because he beats the guard initially and the guard continues to block outside and that creates the inside alley for Gink to run through. From there, he's got a corner and finish and he does just that. Not to mention a great job in man coverage across the board. Everything locked up. I thought Bobby did a good job being in multiple passing lanes throughout the game in the deep half of the field back there. Speaking of Ogba, I thought he drew a bunch of double teams in this game and still found a way to make an impact, mostly when he would slant inside across the face of the tackle and push the pocket that way. He forced a throw away on a third and goal by thwarting a chip block and a cut block simultaneously. Witten tries to kind of get a shoulder on him to throw him off, and the tackle tries to cut him. He gets away from it, and then after coming to a full stop, sprints downhill in a hurry to put Carr in a bind and force him to throw the football away. Speaking of more unappreciated play, Kyle Van Noy, his hustle to retrace on wide receiver screens and make a tackle after getting cut blocked. Love to see that from the veteran. I also mentioned this on the Sunday podcast, but the play that he made just before the fourth down Zach Sealer stop, where he attacks the fullback, Cars on the boot, then he falls back into coverage to take away the running back in the pass concept. Just so dang good. And on the other side of that play, Jerome Baker picks up a backside crosser before that thing can develop and forces the incompletion. These guys just play so instinctually sound and they communicate and they get themselves into passing lanes. I thought both those guys, again, had a hell of a game. Speaking of the underappreciated club, Christian Wilkins does so many things that just don't really show up in the stats in the stat line, the box score, even though he does get in the box score. He wins quick inside on a twist to help carry up a blocker and free up a Raekwon Davis pressure where he just shows you that quick burst and get off in the kind of short compact build where he can rush through and, and force the, the line to change its complexion in a way. Did that a couple times in this game. There's a first and goal run from the three where he's head up over Trent Brown, 380 pound Trent Brown, that rhymes. And Christian strikes him, tosses him aside, gets into the gap and stacks up Josh Jacobs. Just sheer strength to go along with that quick what a hell of a combo finish up here with Zach Sealer this dude friggin split a double team against or as a three technique between the left tackle and left guard they double him and it forces a throw away from Derek Carr and then on the fourth down stop he wins a cross face even though he was out leveraged pre-snap I just wrote damn I'm glad we found this guy what a game again what a play what a season for Zach Sealer so that's your defensive notes of the offensive notes the stats let's go ahead and finish up this podcast by hearing from Josh Boyer, Danny Crossman, and Chan Gailey, your Miami Dolphins coordinators. And we start here with defensive coordinator Josh Boyer, who was asked a interesting question about what he might take from Brian Flores' coaching skill set and Brian Flores' demeanor in the building and how he might try to emulate that. Here's Josh Boyer talking about how they're both their own man. Well, I think, you know, Flo, you know, he directs the entire organization uh, from a coaching standpoint. And if, you know, if he wants something done, then, you know, the best, the best of, you know, our abilities as a defensive staff, we try to get that executed. Um, you know, Flo's his own person. I'm my own person. I don't, I don't really try to emulate, um, you know, or be the same. I just try to be myself and be genuine. Um you know, but, uh, you know, he, he does an outstanding job of, of ha- having his, uh, you know, hand on on the pulse of the team. Um, he understands X and X's and O's very well. And, um, you know, it's it's just been a, you know, a working relationship. And he's him and I'm me. And, um, you know, and ultimately we share the same goals. Um, so it's, uh, when you have a shared vision and shared goals, it, it's, a, it's a pretty easy, uh, 
working relationship. And so we get the Buffalo Bills this week. And if you guys watch the game on Monday night, you know what Stephon Diggs is capable, leads the NFL in receiving. You know what Cole Beasley is capable, and you know that John Brown could be back this week and plenty of other options there as well. So I wanted to ask, Coach, how the process goes throughout the course of the week as far as deciding what matchups you want to roll with, deciding who's going to cover who, who's got who when you go in man coverage. Here's Josh Boyer on the process of picking out matchups throughout the course of the week in preparation. I think I think it's a combination of, of, of all things. I, I think sometimes you have a pretty good idea going into it. I think uh, sometimes you can start one way and you can get into the week and go, you, you know, this might be a little bit better. Uh, ultimately, it comes down to, you know, you, you really just want to put the guys in the best position to succeed. And, um, you know, based on what they've done, based on what our opponent does. Um, so, you know, a lot of a lot of things go into that. Um, but ultimately, you know, what you're trying to do is put those guys in the best position to succeed. And again, back to the game on Monday night, the Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills offense just kind of did whatever they wanted as they have done for the last several weeks here on this role. Coach was asked about Josh Allen's athletic ability and the mobile quarterback and the challenges that presents. Coach has talked again at length about all the weapons this offense has and how dangerous they are. So here's Josh Boyer talking about the threat of Josh Allen and the dangers of a mobile quarterback. Well, again, he's extremely athletic. Um, you know, I mean, he can stand in the pocket and make all the throws. He, he can move and make all the throws. Um, you know, he, he's been productive in both both areas. Um, you know, I think as the season goes, you know, you hope you improve in all facets of the game. And, um, you know, and, and really what it comes down to is execution. You know, like I, I would say that we're constantly striving for improvement. Uh, no matter what it is. And, you know, there's always, you always face adversity. There's always bumps in the road. And, you know, I don't think anybody's ever coached a perfect game or anybody's played a perfect game. But uh, at this time of year, we, we need to be at our best. Let's go ahead and hear from Dolphins special teams coordinator, Danny Crossman, who discussed the fake punt to Clayton Fedulum, who ripped off a 22-yard run, just one yard shy of Matt Turk's 23-yard run back in 2003, the longest run by a non-skilled player on offense since that run by Matt Turk. Here is Coach Crossman talking about the Dolphins' proclivity to go towards some trickeration on special teams and getting the looks they like and how they go ahead go about calling those fakes on special teams. Well, again, I think, you know, you know, we, we try and come up with, with things that we like. Uh, and I just think that more than anything, you know, uh, opportunities have presented themselves, whether it's with particular looks or uh, with the situation of the game, uh, where it's something that's uh, given us the opportunity to call it. And then more importantly, you know, uh, as you guys have probably sick here and then it comes down to the execution of it and uh, you know we've been uh, good on some things and bad on some other things but uh, you know fortunately it uh, it was successful on uh, Saturday night. And we know Jason Sanders has just three misses on the season. He's been so consistent and reliable as the place kicker on this football team, scoring tons of points, 136, just eight points off the team franchise record set by Lindo Mare back in 1999. I'm always fascinated by the, the aspect of kicking, the techniques, the the psychological aspect of kicking, kind of like in the way golf. It's all about the stroke and having confidence in that stroke and in your swing. Here's Coach Crossman talking about the confidence Sanders has in his stroke right now and how even when he misses because of the confidence with that stroke and how he struck the ball well, it never wavers. I think the biggest thing with, with Jace is I don't think his, uh, 
I don't think his confidence has, has ever wavered. Um, I know we've, we've talked about this in, in the past and, you know, even on some of his, you know, on his misses, you know, he's, he's struck the ball very well. Uh, so um, I think when you, when you have that and you're, you're striking the ball well and you've struck it well all season, you know, if you do have a miss, you're not going to overanalyze that. And I think as a, as a group, as a team, I think there's, there's, you know, great confidence in the team uh, when we run Jason out there that, you know, that successful things are going to happen. So, uh, uh, you know, again, hopefully that continues and, uh, and we keep working and, and you know, he keeps in the, in the zone that he's been in all season. And we'll go ahead and finish up with Dolphins OC Chan Gailey, who was asked about the approach to go vertical and to go high temp or up tempo, high attacking down the field late in the football game all about the situation of the game, trailing late. And I thought the most interesting part of this quote was him talking about the stylistic approach of the offense and how this offense wants to be a specific type of offense. Here's Chan talking about what type of offense they want to be. Well, the situation of the game has a lot to do with it. You know, you you end up <clears throat> getting behind and needing to uh, get down the field and, and score points quickly. Uh, that has a lot to do with it. And then, you know, we're... Um, we've been a team that has uh, tried to be 9, 10, 11, 12 play drives, run the football, play action pass, um, control the time on the clock. Um, and so uh, that's, the, that's the situation uh, that we found with Tua uh, in the ball game. We're, and plus, you, you know, you, you're missing some receivers from time to time, and that has – something to do with it so it, it a lot of that goes into decision making about how the how the situ, how the game is being called and what kind of plays we run and miles gaskin returned with a big night 169 yards from scrimmage on saturday night wanted to ask chan gailey about the lift he gives you on offense he talks here about the committee approach and going with a hot hand in the backfield he had a good week of practice, which, you know, that, that always means a lot. If a guy has a good week of practice, you have a lot of confidence going into the game. And uh, Savon had done extremely well, obviously, the week before. So uh, he got to start. And then all of a sudden, Miles started running the football and getting some creases and making some plays. So um, he, he got the hot hand. And that's kind of how we've been doing it this year. Whoever gets the hot hand. Uh, we, we let them go. And so there you have it. There are your coordinators. That's going to do it for this Tuesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. This week coming up, we have the Bills preview on tomorrow's show. Do not miss that. We'll also have the feature with Savan Ahmed and Miles Gaskin here on the podcast. Looking forward to doing that. We'll flash back later on this week as well. Plenty to come your way here on Drive Time and MiamiDolphins.com. In the meantime, you all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast. The Fish Tank is dropping a big-time episode on Tuesday. It is the Brian Cox episode. You do not want to miss that. should be available for you by the time you hear this podcast. Also, again, last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. We have plenty of content, photo galleries, written stories, all the stuff you want up on MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time. Fins up.